Good morning, everybody. I'm going to be doing the scripture reading today, and our passage is Acts 26, 19 through 32. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul. He shouted, your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. All right. Thank you very much. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Good to see you. I haven't been to church in a long time, so it's nice to be at church again. Um, All right. uh, So uh, two things first. Maybe you're reading this and you're like, wait a minute, where was chapter 25? We didn't do chapter 25. Look. We've been going a long time with the book of Acts, and chapter 25 is a repeat of the same story for the third time that he told twice already. So, you can read that on your own, read it in your house church, and I actually want you to, because I want you to see what leads up to this moment right here, Um, and we're going to get to this in a second. Secondly, I have been told uh, by our administrator um, that I needed to talk to you. Um, So we sent out the the annual email for the votes of passing of the, uh, the annual budget, and the, um, the votes for congregational reps and reinstating um, a, another term for Monica as an elder. And um, the governing board gets together like in early June and begins working on all this, and it's a lot of work, and they meet for hours and hours and hours, and it's really exhausting. But they put that all together so that you could look over it and you could vote on it and give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down or a I'm abstaining and I don't care kind of thing. Don't do that, though. Um, and we sent out the email... And 160 people opened the email, and 40 people voted. Thank you, 40. Appreciate you. Um, oh, uh, and so we need, a, we need a few more of you to, to just look over it, like, like search your email, look for the annual congregational meeting, and, uh, and just vote on that stuff. Vote yes or no, I don't care. Just but vote so we, that we know like, where you're at, your thoughts, and all of this. Um, unless you don't no longer believe in democracy. Who knows? But... It's a general consensus in the world today. But um, 
I, I, we're, we're doing our best to keep it good, all right? So just, just look over it and vote if you would. Um, and so it's good to be back. It's good to be with you. I've been journeying everywhere, and, um, and I have ammo for months. Man, man, I have so much stuff that I learned. It took notes on, just books full, and I'm very excited. So that's kind of why I want to push through Acts as well and finish this up. I want to get to Romans. Um, eventually, I want to teach Revelation. Also, I have, um, I've already started reaching out to a couple house churches, and I'm going to be visiting you and just talking about the book of Revelation and just sort of like telling you some of the stuff I've been working on and see how it hits. And, and, uh, and as I'm talking with you guys, it'll help me tweak sermons and all this stuff as we go. So if you have a house church and you would like me to come talk about Revelation with you or any subject, honestly, um, let's do it. Hit me up and, uh, and we'll do that. So everybody good? Everybody ready to go? Got a lot. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for this place and these people. I pray that you will be present with us, that you will right now begin to reveal things to us that we need to see, areas of our life that we have not yet submitted to you. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for all of them that you've gathered here, my family. Um, I pray that we would see each other um, not as just people who believe the same thing or members of something together. I pray that we would see each other as siblings, as belonging to each other, as uh, when, when one of us is in pain, the whole body suffers because one of us needs healing and that we would jump in and, and bring that healing. I pray that we would see each other, that we would minister to each other. Um, and I pray that all of this healing would start right now. I pray that our, our, our house churches would be able to be free to have deep conversations about what God is doing or may be doing, what they suspect God is doing in their midst. Um, I pray that you would be in all of it. And uh, I pray that we would be in the midst of a, of a very, very anxious world, and it's just getting more and more anxious. I pray that we would be your calm, faithful presence, non-reactive, that we would be, to continue, be able to continue just like we have been, that we would be um, the presence of goodness and, uh, and peace and love and joy and mercy and forgiveness, that we would not um, be catechized by the world, that we would be shaped by you. Thank you, Father. Amen. Okay, so um, let me catch you up. Paul is standing, is standing now uh, in sort of this court assembly. He uh, has called, uh, he was a prisoner of the Jewish people. They handed him over to Rome, uh, but he's a Roman citizen. They were going to send him back to Jerusalem to stand trial before the Sanhedrin, who ultimately we know wants him killed um, for blasphemy. Um, but Paul's a Roman, and so Paul says, hold on. I'm going to put in, throw in a wild card. I'm a Roman citizen, and I get to talk to the emperor. And so let me do this. Let's, let's, let's go to the emperor. Um, so first, they bring him to Herod Agrippa. Um, here's a coin with ancient Agrippa right here. I saw this last week, this coin sitting on a shelf in a, in a uh, museum. Um, so I took a picture of it. So this is Herod Agrippa, and um, uh, he was sort of the sort of half-Jewish um, emperor at the time. And that's why Paul sort of appeals to him and says, you believe in the prophets, don't you? And he's like, well, of course I do. He's half Jewish. He's trying to like win them all over because um, he wants to be sort of the Davidic king of their day. He wants them to all follow him. And so Paul stands before this guy um, and this guy walks in. If you were paying attention to the reading, he, this guy dwells in complete opulence. He has palaces, he has servants, he has chariots and soldiers guarding him day and night. He, it, it's basically like he... Uh, he, he's just this wealthy, wealthy, famous man in this town. So um, Paul stands before him as a Roman citizen, and Paul tells his whole story, 
His entire mission, how he saw Jesus, met him on the road to Damascus, how seeing the risen Lord challenged everything that he believed because he believed only the the vindicated, the ones who actually were right, are the ones who were resurrected. And turns out Jesus was resurrected, which means everything that Jesus believed would be right and everything Paul believed would be wrong. And this shocked him. And so Paul for 10 years goes away and he has to rethink all his theology. He's reading the Old Testament and reforming everything that he believes about about God, about Judaism, about all of it. And he becomes a follower of Jesus. And Paul makes it his mission to bring in Gentiles into the Jewish people. He sees that he's following in the footsteps of, of um, Elijah and Elisha. He believes that the time has come where God has sent the, the, the prophet with the beautiful feet, as he, like how beautiful are the feet of those who take the gospel. Paul believes that, that Isaiah was talking about him, himself. He sees himself as that prophet with the beautiful feet. Um, uh, even though the Bible describes him as, as basically ugly. It says he's got a unibrow, he's bow-legged, he's short. But he's like, but my feet, check them out. And he believes he's got the beautiful feet to take, to basically go and kick the, 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 the temple doors open to bring in the Gentiles, all right? So this is Paul's whole mission. Everything that Paul is doing can be understood as a mission to bring in the Gentiles. That's his whole thing. Um, and, and that's going to help you actually when we read the book of, of Romans. All right, I got to keep moving. I'm going to just go down all these rabbit trails. Um, so the gospel, remember, I've talked about this a bajillion times now. The gospel of Jesus is not about going to heaven when you die. That is, that is not the point of the Bible. That's not the point of Christianity. As much as people have dumbed it down over the years, know this. The point of Christianity is not about where you go when you die. The point of Christianity is about the gospel of Jesus. It's a message that there is a new king who rules over everyone. There, it is the message that there is a new kingdom that is taking shape right now in this world in the midst of everyone else. Um, and this kingdom is good. It will bring about world peace. It's not a coercive kingdom. It comes about through love and in all the exact opposite ways that earthly kingdoms are built. They're all built through violence and coercion and power. This is a kingdom that is built through love and through humility and lowering yourself. And it gathers and it's a kingdom built at the bottom that flips everything then upside down. Um, where the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Humble yourself on the side of God and he will lift you up. It's a whole other thing. Um, and so this makes no sense in their world. It doesn't make any more sense in our world today that you advance yourself by lowering yourself. But this was the gospel. This is the kingdom. It, it's all about Jesus and the way that the, that the God on high lowered himself and became nothing, lower than nothing, all the way down to a servant and a slave, the, the appearance of nothingness. Um, and so this is essentially the message that has, has to be presented to King Agrippa. And, and I want you to understand the setting of this sermon, the room in which they are gathered and, and, and what it looks like when Paul is doing this because it, the, the, the description is pretty stark. So we have in verse 23 here, back in chapter 25, it says, the next day Agrippa and Bernice, I don't know who Bernice is. It doesn't even seem like a Roman name to me. Bernice uh, came with a great pomp, with great pomp and entered the audience room with a high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. Uh, at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. So you have Paul standing there. Paul would have either have been naked in chains or he would have been wearing one single dirty tunic in chains. But he's chained hands, feet, possibly neck, and he's standing there um, in the middle of this room. And when it says great pomp, like uh, this guy's entering in, the doors would have flung open. There would have been an announcement, a scroll, a reading. And then like you would hear clanging of like soldiers' feet and they walk in and they gather in a circle around Paul. There would have been a throne like in, in the throne room there. And Festus would have walked in with whoever Bernice is and they would have sat down 
and uh, they'd be wearing big hats and fancy things and, and, and gold everywhere. And it's, it's a whole thing. It, it, it's, even the horse that he rides in on is like the, 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 the modern day equivalent of a Ferrari. Like the, the guy is everything that, it, that, that, that you would think of displaying wealth and power and opulence and just the ultimate highest ranking people on earth. This is what you would think of right here. It's, it's, the, it's the Russian oligarch here. Um, and so standing at the center around these people is Paul. And Paul wearing possibly nothing but chains, possibly a tunic and chains. And Paul, short, again, unibrow, bow-legged, the way they describe him in the Bible, um, they're purposely just describing him in a way that is opposite of the perfect Roman sculpture male, right? And they do this on purpose. Um, And they describe him standing there. and, And it's just this dichotomy of Paul and all these people gathered around him in opulence, okay? Um, and so standing at the very center, he's wearing this tunic adorned only in chains. And, and what does Paul say to them? So this is the part I want you to gather with your house church. And I want you to read Paul's speech. And I want to see if you've picked up anything different. Um, now that we've gone through this book for a while, I want you to read it and, and, and sort of contemplate how you read it now. Maybe perhaps compared to how you've read it before. Maybe you've never read um, in detail, these books. But read Paul's speech that he gives. It's very detailed. It goes on for a long time. And I want to look show you verse tw- um, in chapter 26, verse 28 and 29. It says this. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Because Paul, he goes into this big um, description of, of all that God is doing and sort of its invitation to become a part of it. He's, he's using rhetoric and he's being very convincing. And he says, are you, trying to, are you trying to turn me into a Christian? Like with one speech, you think you can make me a Christian. And Paul replies in verse 29, short time or long, doesn't matter. I pray to God, not only that you, but all who are listening to me, everyone in the room, today may become what I am except for these chains. So you have this guy standing in the middle, wearing chains, nothing about him. He's ugly. He's, he's, just, the, he's just nothing, Right? And you have all this wealth surrounding him. These guys are wearing just big feathered hats and it's just over, like, overly done. The room would have been decorated up and he's standing there and he says, I, I think you guys should become like me, honestly. I think you should leave all this behind and I think you should join. I think, except for the chains, you could do without those. But I, think, but I think you could stand to be more like me. And I imagine the chuckle that would have sort of gone out among the whole room. Because they were, the Roman people lived and died by honor. Even the soldiers, if someone insulted you, uh, you, would, you would fight to the death suddenly. You would, you would draw and you would fight to the death because your honor is all that mattered. Paul, zero honor now. Not in the Jewish world, not in the Roman world. And there he stands with no honor in this room full of power. And he says, you know what you guys need? You need to drop all this and you need to join me. And the whole thing is stunning to picture um, when you, when you read this and you actually get it in your mind, you should be like me. So Paul's message before the guy who, who dwells in opulence is that he should repent and become lowly and humble and give up all of his honor, give up everything he's worked for his whole life, give up all the ways that people look at him and do the things that Paul says, like die to yourself. Just die to yourself. Let it all die. Become like nothing. Join me. Um, he invites him to join the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God Sometimes I like to ask people, once we get talking about like theology, if they disagree with me and stuff, I like to ask like key things. Like, I like to ask them, what's your definition of the, like, what is the kingdom of God to you? Oftentimes Christians will say, it's where you go after you die. It's heaven. 
That's very Gnostic. It's not. It's not. The kingdom of God is something that Jesus ushered in. It was the promising. Jesus says, it's at hand. It is here. The kingdom of God is, is the gathering of people, the citizens uh, of the kingdom of God, who, the followers of Jesus who have committed to living the path of Jesus as much as they possibly can, every day repenting of the ways that they find that they are not living in the path of Jesus um, and giving up everything possible to become like Jesus. They don't, the kingdom of God isn't concerned with all these questions, like I said, about what's right and wrong. It's about what's wise and what's Christ-like because we're trying to be little Christs. That's what Christian means. That's what a Christian is. It's a little Christ. I mean, we live in a country where everyone's calling themselves Christians, but very few people are Christ-like. And so you see um, this group of people sometimes and you're like, they're different. They don't seem to be doing what everyone else is doing. This is the early Christians. Um, it's the kingdom is everyone who identifies with a man who gave up all of the admiration and status of the world in order to love the people who could, who could never save themselves by their works, people who could never measure up, people who could never attain honor and status in the world. And God orders a, builds a kingdom just for them, and he calls it his kingdom. And he's inviting other people to release it all and join them. Um, and this is the kingdom that God is building. Um, they can never save themselves by their works in a world that demanded that they climb higher and higher and higher and higher. And from the very beginning, right, all the way back to the time of Jacob and before that, you have God, you see these ladders and God is coming down these ladders, not demanding people come up. We demand each other climb, climb, climb to meet our expectations and it happens all the time. People, um, people lash out at you and say, if you're not like me, I want nothing to do with you. They want you to climb up to their level. But what Jesus does is exactly the opposite. He climbs down and he joins you where you are and he sits with you. And instead of telling you how, instead of like confronting you and saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. It's almost like he's curious and he asks you questions. And he asks you to go deeper and, and he's sort of poking and prodding. Have you thought of this? Have you thought of this? Um, what do you think God is doing here? What do you think God is doing here? What do you think God is doing in your life? What is the world asking of you? What is, what is Jesus asking of you? And these are the questions that, that sort of formed the early churches. And so last week I was in... Um, I was in, well, I started off in Turkey, uh, and then we ended up in Greece. We were following in the footsteps of Paul's journey. We also visited the seven churches of Revelation. We visited the Isle of Patmos, where John wrote the book of Revelation. And everywhere we went, we would, we would, we would tour the city with a historian first and tell us the history of the city, how it came to ruins, um, and how they found it, and, and how they're digging it, and how close it is to being uncovered, um, and the work being done. And they're restoring buildings, and they said, this one is made with 70% of the original material. This one's made with 20%. And so we learn all this stuff. And then we gather as New Testament scholars. We would sit in a circle, and professors would take turns talking and saying, now when Paul says this, he's referring to this right here, and that right there. And if you look out over the valley, you can see that city right there. That's the next place this letter went. And, and this is sort of like bringing it all to life for us. Um, and so as we did this... Um, one, uh, let's see, where was I? Um, one of the churches we visited was the city of, uh, the church of, uh, of Corinth. And so here's a picture I took. This would be the temple of Asclepius, what is, what is left of it. Um, um, Pre-Roman, this is ancient and Greco. You can tell by the columns and all that stuff. I'll go for hours on columns. I'll talk for columns forever. My kids hate columns at this point. Um, and so... Um, a little background about, about the church that was here in Corinth. Um, Paul writes this letter to this church, and Paul is worried that they are on what Paul calls the, the cursus honorum. Um, well, Paul didn't actually refer to this, but this is the way he speaks about it, and you can see it all through early church writings. Um, this idea of, and, and Roman writings, the idea of the cursus honorum. This was, uh, it, it means path to honor. Did I write it down? No, I didn't. Um, cursus honorum. It, it means 
the path to honor in Rome, and this is, if you wanted to be a good Roman citizen, you would, you would stay on, hey, you tell your children, stay on the cursus honorum. Don't do things that would dishonor yourself, your household, your family, your name, or your country, or, or the empire. You stay on the cursus honorum, and you climb the ladder, and, and you do things to build up honor. And, and there's several ways that you could build up honor um, in those days. Some of my notes disappeared this morning, I noticed, so here we go. Um, but it's okay. I can pull it out. Um, so there were three ways, really, in the Roman Empire, and I've talked about this before, three ways that you could really climb the ladder on the cursus honorum, on the path to honor in Rome. Um, one of them was being a really good orator, being able to rhetoric. You stand up on the corner and you, you talk. They would have these um, sort, of, um, sort of theaters everywhere. There's like two in every city, a big one and a small one. And, and you would gather and, and you would take turns sort of giving speeches. This happened in Athens on the, on, on the, 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 the hill of Mars, Mars Hill, um, just in the shadow of the Parthenon there. Um, and they would take turns debating all these great ideas. And if you were a good orator, your honor would move up. Um, so that's one way to, to stay on the cursus honorum and climb the ladder. Another way was, was getting paid to become an orator. Okay? If you would make money as a teacher, as a speaker, you were high class. You were moving up. And so it wasn't just a goal to become a great orator. It was to get paid for being a great orator. Um, and a third way was, and, and, and basically you would be, a, a community would come to you and say, we're going to pay you to be our orator and our teacher and teach us. And this is what they would do. And third, um, avoiding manual labor. This is another way. Working with your hands was low status, low class. So if you could make a living with your brain um, as a a writing, like a scribe or um, teaching, speaking, communicating in some way, um, then you were high status as well. So Paul, if you read the text of the book of of Corinthians, the letter written to the people in the city of Corinth, if you, if you read that letter, you're going to see several things. You're going to see them getting upset with Paul about several things, complaining about his oratory skills. Paul was a great speaker, but he purposely dumbed down his skills while he was there on purpose to bring down sort of the, the status in the community. The second thing um, was that he refused to get paid. He's like, I'm not going to receive your money. And they're like, you're making us look stupid. Take our money. He's like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not taking your money. They're like, well, how are you going to live? He's like, I make tents. And they're like, you work with your hands? He's like, yes. Why? You're a Pharisee. I thought it'd be a great way to make some extra cash, working with my hands. What do you think of that? Um, and the whole, everyone's really mad about this, all right, because it makes them all look bad. And Paul's like, of course it does. That's the point. You're on the cursus honorum, and I got to get you off of this. Everything that Paul does um, is meant to resist the empire from having an effect in their community. Everything that Paul does He's not, sometimes we read the Bible and we look at what Paul does and we say, so that means you should do this. And that means you should do this. Why? Because Paul did it and because Paul said it. No, like, first off, like, we live, we follow Jesus. And we, when we read Paul, we understand that Paul is a follower of Jesus and Paul is working out his theology. It's a lived theology. Paul, after studying Jesus and understanding Jesus, says, I think this is a Christ-like way to do things here. And I think this is a Christ-like way to do things here. So sometimes he's going to be a great rhetorical speaker and other times he's purposely going to be a bad one. Um, sometimes he's going to get paid and sometimes he's not. But it all has to do with being Christ-like first and second, trying to diminish the impact that the empire that they live in has on them on, in, in, in church. He wants to stop the cursus honorum from creeping its way into the church. He, wants to, he believes they're becoming too Roman, and he wants to stop this. He says a Christian should never conform to the patterns of the world in which they live. They should always, 
orient their entire life around Jesus and Jesus alone. Not Jesus and these other things. Not Jesus and that or Jesus and this. And so Paul does this over and over and over. Now, if you walk down the ruins of Corinth, and from here you go around the corner, there's a Roman road, and you take a left, and there's a museum in the middle, and you go around the side. We gathered around this stone that was there, and we studied around the stone. Um, and this is the stone. And it says... Um, so let me, let me put, the, put the text up here. It says, Erastus pro adilitate sua pecuna stravit, which means Erastus, in return for his adilaship, paved at his own expense. So Erastus right there, you see his name? Um, we know who this guy was. He was a member of the early church. Um, so first off, a, an adilaship, this is um, the equivalent of, of being a town treasurer. Okay, so he's very, very wealthy, very high status, very high class. And in that day, you could also raise your status, especially in the city of Corinth, by making a huge gift to the people. Um, and so this basically means that this man, Erastus, paved the main town square in the city of Corinth, um, underneath the mountain of the Agora. It's a beautiful place. You can stand there and look around. It's very hot, though. Um, and, and you could stand there, and you can see his name on the ground. And it's like, what it says is basically he paved all of this with his own money. Um, and we know who this guy was. He's mentioned several times in the New Testament. He's really, seems to be a really good dude. Um, he's mentioned in our book that we're studying now, the book of Acts. It says, and having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, that's him. He himself stayed in Asia for a while. Yeah, uh, Romans 16 mentions him as well. It says, Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, he greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother, Quartus, greets you. So Erastus, the city treasurer, exactly what this stone says he is. This is our guy. That's his name, still existing, on the ground right now in Greece. You can go stand around it and look at it and talk about it like we did. Um, so Romans 16, this is the end of Romans, and this is a long list of all the people as Paul is writing the book of Romans. He's probably gathered in a circle with all these people that he mentions there um, in somebody's, probably a wealthy person's house, um, probably one of the people on the list, and there's debates about which one. Um, and they would have helped Paul write this letter. They would have been writing it sort of communally. This is a specific kind of letter. It's different. The letter to the Corinthians is an outburst. It says Paul writing. He's got a lot to say. Romans is different. It's a rhetorical argument. And so this guy is helping Paul write the book of Romans, probably paying to send it with Phoebe all the way out there to preach it. Um, that's right. Romans was delivered and preached originally by a woman. She would have answered all the questions, and she would have been the theological teacher in the city of Rome under Paul. Um, so... Uh, and then we have in 2 Timothy 4, it says, Erastus remained in Corinth. Here we are. City of Corinth, the treasure. This is our guy. Um, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Poor guy. Um, okay. So, um, so we know who this guy was. And, 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 and when you read the book of Corinth, I want you at some point, because we're not going to be studying Corinth probably for a few years here. Um, maybe we will. Who knows? But... I want you to read it maybe on your own, maybe in a group setting, and I want you to sort of keep all this in your mind, what Paul is talking about, the ways that are upset with him, what Paul is trying to do. There's this wealthy guy, Erastus, he's in the church. Um, and when a wealthy person, a very, very wealthy, influential person, a very famous person walks into a church, it tends to turn heads, and there tends to suddenly be people sitting up straight. Oh, I gotta get to know this guy. I wanna sit by him. I wanna share a meal next to him. I, I wanna sit next to him at the table. And this started creeping in in the city of Corinth. And when you read is. They started having communion every, you know, the early church was a meal every time they gathered. And so the rich people started showing up and eating early and then the poor people would show up afterwards and the good wine would be drunk and there'd be a little bit of the poor wine left and, and uh, the rich people would be gone and they wouldn't sit with the poor people. So the cursus honorum was creeping its way into the church around the gathering of the table. 
And Paul's not having any of this. And that's why he has this outburst of writing with this letter to the Corinthians. Um, He's not having any of it. There are seats that are specifically for the wealthy, famous people. There are influential insider groups sharing meals and leaving leftovers for the poor. There are people demanding that Paul speak more eloquently, that he take money from them, that he quit his side job. And and Paul hears them, and and all he hears is, you're making us look bad to the Romans. You're making us look bad to the Romans. And Paul says, good. Who cares what they think? We have nothing to do with them. This is not about us. That empire is that empire. The church is the church. The empire is the empire. Let the church be the church so that the empire can be the empire. And then we, like Paul, can stand there in the midst of this circle of powerful people and say, hey, you should be more like us. And invite them into it. Instead, we play these other games. Um, We see these other games. We, We... you know, I've been, I, the last few years have been very revealing. You have, you have these wealthy churches in New York City who are making special places for movie stars and, and pop stars and people selling clothes and standing up posing with pop stars and, 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 and having special seating for different groups of people and the poor people can pour us to the top, right? Like you can sit up on the balcony and you can watch and, and these million dollar concerts and sound systems and, and it all gets revealed. Like we're becoming more and more American. The American church is now becoming more American than church. And it's, and it's breaking away from what it was meant to be. And you can see this everywhere. And Paul could have easily written the letter that he wrote to Corinth, he could have easily written it to us here today and said, I wanna to talk to you about the ways that you don't notice that the empire is creeping in and taking over. You don't even notice it because you're so in it. But those of us on the outside of it, like if you, if you travel to other countries and you talk to other Christians, they have a lot to say. They have a lot to say about the American church. They hardly recognize it as a church at all. They don't understand what we're doing. They don't understand the point. They don't understand like, why we even call ourselves a church anymore, why we don't just call ourselves a civil American religion. Because that's basically what it is becoming. Um, and there's power and there's fame and there's prestige in the church and there's temptations to bring worldliness in with them. And so Paul writes to them, he talks about the role the role of the apostle. And when he talks about the role of the apostle, it's, it's, it's very descriptive. He sort of talks about, um, about who they are, who they see themselves as in, in the cursus sonorum here. Oh, wait, I got that here. I wrote it. I didn't look at my slides. Boom, cursus sonorum. Moving on. Um, and so if you read what Paul was talking about, um, and you read, okay, let me just read this to you. It's, it starts in, uh, it's 1 Corinthians, um, I think it was, Chapter 6, I believe. I didn't write down a chapter. Verse 9, it says, For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. You know what that is, a procession? It's um, when an army defeats, a Roman army defeats a city, and they, come and they, and they do a procession through a Roman city, showing off all the things that they, that, they, that they stole, that they won, because most of Roman things were taken by stealing. They were, the, they were the robbers of the world. And at the very end, you would have all the slaves coming in that they kidnapped and captured. Romans, Romans would regularly go on missions to capture slaves everywhere and bring them in because they needed more workers to build all the things that they were building. And so Paul says, us apostles, you know what we are? You guys are one thing, but the apostles, you can think of us like the, the people at the end of the Roman procession after a battle in chains. He says, it seems that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, 
We are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We worked hard with our own hands. He's laying it all out. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. We, we are cursed. We don't fight to the death for our honor. We tell them, I receive that. I'll take your sin upon myself. I just want you to know there is someone who desperately loves you. And I'm drawing close to you to let you know this. Um, when we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. There was actually a, there was a nine, uh, there was an early 2000s ska band, late 90s as well, ska band called Five Iron Frenzy. Remember them? They, they were part of a church plant called Scum of the Earth Church. Brilliant. Brilliant. Welcome to Scum Church. Glad you're here. Um, <laughs> didn't grow. It, it didn't, become, didn't become a megachurch, surprisingly. Um, and so... Which was probably the point. Um, so Paul lists all of the ways that they're trying to make themselves look good and how the apostles, being Christ-like, lived the exact opposite. And he says, I don't, I don't know where you learned this kind of behavior, but you didn't learn it from me. Actually, I know where you learned it. I've been to your city. I've seen the way they live. Um, Paul sees himself as lowered because he's trying to be like Christ. And so Paul sees himself as lowered. And this is a spiritual discipline that the church has forgotten. Seeing yourself as lowered. It's very hard to keep this mindset uh, that you yourself are to be lowered. And if you are constantly thinking about yourself in a Christ-like fashion, you will constantly be lifting others above yourself. And this is the exact opposite of how American culture is meant to work. We're supposed to be people who stand and who fight and who are proud and Paul says, well, I'm trying to be Christ-like. I'm lowered. And he says, and, and the things I'm pointing out to you are the ways the empire is changing you, and you're becoming unchristlike. To be Christ-like is to be lowered. This is something we have failed to emphasize for far too long. And I think it's led to a sort of the, the point at which we are now. And, and, and I, I think it's done a, a great disservice to the nation in which we live. Um, Paul in his epistles and John in the book of Revelation, they're doing everything that they can to get their people to resist the empire however they can. Everything that Paul does, he's trying to think of ways to resist the empire. He's not giving them laws to follow or commands for people to follow in order to be accepted by God. Sometimes, again, we read Paul and we think, so you have to do this and you have to do this because Paul said, the reason Paul is saying these things is because he thinks these are ways that you can be formed more like Christ and less like the empire. And if there's a better way, that, that you can follow Jesus, that will form you more in the path of Christ, by all means, do it. But whatever it takes, always pay attention and resist the empire and follow the slain lamb every time. This is the animal that represents us, the lamb who is slain. This is who we follow. And there are, there, these are the ways that has helped them deprogram themselves from the ways that their society has worked so hard to form them. Um, and this is part of the work of pastoring. For those of you who, who want to be pastors, men and women who want to rise up and, and one day lead people in the path of Jesus, it's an honorable thing and I encourage that and, and, and you have a place here you can serve. But you, you may not always understand, here's the thing, you may not always understand the moves that your pastors, your elders in our church that they make when they opt not to take part in the things that, that you see. as This can bring in a ton of people. This is great advertisement for the church. And what will oftentimes happen is I'll resist that and your elders will resist that. And you won't understand. We're not resisting you. We're not resisting your ideas. We're not even resisting, if God wants to bring growth, God can bring growth. We're resisting the empire. We're resisting consumerism. We're resisting capitalism. We're resisting all of it. 
We're trying to pursue Christ-likeness in every small aspect of our life, and it does not include any of the things out there that they're doing. It's specifically centered on Jesus. Um, I'm always making, you can ask the governing board, I'm always making wildly irrational suggestions um, a bit like, to our governing board, like, like turning off, I regularly bring up, you think we should turn off the live feed? Why? Well, a lot of people are watching. That's good. Is it, though? I just want you to resi- just, just resist a little bit. Is that good? Do we want lots of eyes on the outside watching? Does that actually hinder our spiritual formation? I think it might. Maybe it doesn't, but I'm going to suggest it because I'm trying to resist the empire from creeping in. It's, it's basically like trying to waterproof a house. Like, a, the, like the church is underwater and the water's trying to creep in from every side and we're like, I, I think it's coming in over here and we're gonna patch this. I think it's coming in over here, so let's back off a little bit. The things that form us in Christ-likeness are what we're trying to find, okay? Um, I don't do this because I think that it's wrong to have a live feed or it's wrong to have people watching. I do it in order to resist the cursus anorum, the cursus anorum of America that, is, that pulls us all into its vortex and forms us in unchristlike ways. God has never said he wants his church to be huge, ever. Matter of fact, what I have found in my 20 years of pastoring now is the only people who want a big church is the pastor. The rest of us kind of just want family to move through life with. We need people with us. That can, we need a place to ask our questions and to be honest and to lay it all out. Um, I know that a lot of you are, are in your mid-20s and mid-30s and, and the pull towards greatness, you feel it. Your parents have warned you about, I'm just afraid you're gonna end up working fast food. The Bible says nothing about you working fast food. Matter of fact, I wonder if we were to ask Paul about that, he would be like, that's a great idea. <laughs> you know what kind of people you'll meet? Yeah. Like, but we are so, we have been so catechized by America. Don't waste your life. How is that? Wa- really? Pouring yourself out for your neighbors, mowing the widow's lawn? Like, like, how is this wasting your life, building these deep, meaningful relationships that help you, you and them both become more Christ-like and establish the kingdom of God in the few houses surrounding your house and sharing a meal once a week. That is a life well-lived in the eyes of Jesus. That's it. There's nothing else to accomplish in the kingdom of God. There's no ladder for you to climb. Uh, God has climbed down that ladder and has joined you there in that little small gathering. I mean, I, I've, I used to like once in a while, for some reason churches have reviews on Google, which is a bizarre concept. I just can't fathom where this came from. Um, and one of the reviews was like, he says, um, way too much. And I was like, oh, I say, um, too much. And I came, see, some of you know. Um, 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 and, and I read that, I was like, do I? And I started paying attention to it. And I was like, oh, I gotta stop saying, um. And, I, and it was distracting me from preaching. And at some point, I'm just like, all right, screw that. That's dumb. Like, I'm not, who cares? I'm going to double up on the ums. Like, who cares? I'm not here to impress you with my lack of ums. My brain is a little busy inside. I'm going to say um a lot to fill the space while I land my thoughts so I can say them, all right? Uh, Like, it's, and it's not wrong to improve your services and have better, it's not wrong to do all this, but the questions are why and, and are you doing this because the empire demands it? Because the people from the empire are coming in and saying, this could be better. Why? I didn't like to worship. It wasn't for you. <laughs> we were never worshiping you. Like, um, like, and so like this, it's not a show, it's not a production, it's not a brand, and we've taken these, we, we as Watermark have taken these missteps many, many times. I am, I am more guilty than any of you. Um, and Jesus has saved us from that and is saving us from that. And I pray every day that he continues to save us from that as we continue to put in 
the waterproofing of this place so that we, we don't allow the empire to creep in and, and to change the message of Jesus to be something else that's more palatable for the masses. It's not. We were not called to stand with power in the room full of people with power and to say, look at us too. Paul stands there and says, I, I kind of wish that you had become like me, except for the chains. And this is what he's calling them down to. I want to read you, um, there was this, uh, my professor last week gave me this, this writing from C.S. Lewis. Uh, it was in the 1961 edition of Screwtape Letters in the preface. And it's only found there and it's not found anywhere else. It's the only, I've searched and searched and searched and I couldn't find it. So I hit him up. I was like, I need that. So he sent it to me. So here you go. I want you to read this. He says, we must picture hell as a state where everyone is perpetually concerned about his own dignity and advancement, where everyone has a grievance, where everyone lives in a deadly serious passion of envy, self-importance, and resentment. I can see why they pulled it out of the book. Um, Jesus wants to save you from all incarnations of this. Many of us are just, if, if he's right, many of us are living day to day in, 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 in hell. And God is trying to save us from this. That all of our thoughts are for ourselves and how we can get ahead and how we can get what we want. And, and, and Paul the whole time is like, but have you thought about what the Bible says about dying to yourself? Have you thought about, about the message that Jesus was sitting on high and lowered himself? Have you thought about how I, I talk about, Paul, Paul says, he says, I, I'm a slave to Christ. There are other parts in the New Testament where people are like, we're the bride of Christ. And he's like, so in the Roman household though, the bride's pretty high. He goes, and that's how I, I see myself down here. I'm, the, I'm a slave in the household. And I'm inviting you down this way. Don't look at yourself so highly. Humble yourself. Look at others higher than you. Always. The church meets at the bottom. The church looks up at everyone. Anyone who walks in the room, no matter what walk of life they came for, no matter their orientation, no matter their, their gender, no matter any of it, they walk in, you see them, and you say, you meet them from the bottom, you look up to them, and you say, God has brought you in here for some reason. You have something to teach me about the divine, about Jesus. And I'm going to form a, 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 a relationship with you that will transform both of us. I'm gonna bring what God has given me, you're gonna bring what God has given you, and we're gonna walk this path together without coercion, with invitation. Here's what I have tasted and seen, and it's good. Here's what God has done for me. And if we're both doing this, this is how the church moves forward. Not through this power grab, not through this rising to the top and forcing Christianity on everyone else. None of this is how the church has ever been forced to, ever supposed to work. And in fact, every time we have ever done this, we have broken the nation in which we were living in. Over and over and over. Church history is just this big cycle of the church starting off with this repentive state understanding what God is doing, submitting to it, and then, and then thinking too high of themselves and growing and growing and growing, taking over and oppressing people, ending up as the oppressor and breaking the nation in which they're living and then falling to the bottom again. Let's just stay at the bottom and hug each other there and meet each other there and, and share, spread the table at the bottom. This is what Paul is trying to do this whole time. This is the picture that we have been given of Jesus. A church that is formed by the spirit of God towards Christ-likeness. A church that stands there while power swirls around us with all the demands that we ought to do this and you ought to be that and we'll accept you when you're this and when you're this. Why should we not do away with you, church? You don't, you don't join us in what we are doing. But the church meets at the bottom. The church meets here. This is, the empire will eventually always do this. Because there are only two nations in the world. There is Babylon 
and there is Israel. And every church, every, every nation, every empire that is not Israel, that is not the kingdom of God, that is not the church and God's people, every other nation is Babylon. Christians always exist as the nation of Israel within the nation of Babylon. And until we can see that, we will not be able to keep the water from creeping in and flooding the church with the path of honor. We have to stay vigilant. We have to talk about it constantly. Resist the empire and follow the lamb. And so here's my 4th of July advice. (laughs) Um, If you love the country in which you live, and that's fine, you can love the country in which you live. The best thing you can do for that country, if you love it, is not to become more like it. The best thing you can do for that country is to be like Paul, standing in the midst of Agrippa and all the pomp and circumstance and all those people. The best thing you can do for the country that you love is to resist being formed by it. It's to stand like Paul in that way, to disrupt it and reject it by simply being Christ-like in the midst of it. Don't run away from it. Don't bail on it. Always be present as the faithful presence of Jesus there. That alone is disruptive. You stand there in the midst of all their demands and you say, eh, I think you should join us here. But if I did that, all these people would look down on me. Yeah, yeah, they would. But look at all the people that would love you and embrace you and be your family. Like you're missing out on a lot of riches. Like they don't really love you anyways. Join us. Um, And that's what I got. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place and these people. Guide us, help us to see the empire at work in us and help us to purge our lives of it at every turn. Continue to give us a theology that we can live, not just believe. In your name, amen. Would you stand with me and and close in prayer together? Nice and loud, ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Love you all. Have the greatest Sunday of your life. Everybody clap it up like, uh. Yeah. Just like Jesus, when it's turn.